If you were able to walk into a room confident that you would be well-received, seen, heard, and appreciated by others, and all it took was a few changes in how you navigate your everyday relationships, would you be willing to make those changes? It is possible to be both fully authentic and to experience the best relationships of your life. Now, here's the host of Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert, Mickey Gaffin-Stone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Navigating Complicated Relationships here on the Inspired Choices Network. I'm Mickey Gaffin-Stone, your host, and I just want to tell you a little bit about me in case you haven't come across me before. This is your first time listening. I am a board-certified behavior analyst. That means that I know a fair bit about behavior change science, how to use it, and what are good places to use it in. I'm going to explain that through the talk, actually. I'm going to give you a little bit of ABA today. ABA is Applied Behavior Analysis. It gets a bad reputation sometimes, and I would say that depends very much on how you use it, when you use it, and why. So I'm going to explain that for you in a little bit, too. So I'm a board-certified behavior analyst. As I said, I'm a parent. I'm a lifelong traveler. And I've picked up lots and lots of information along the way. All of this has brought me to where I am now. And a little known fact is I'm also a former Montessori teacher. So I have lots of experience with kids in different environments. And I bring all of that to the table to you today. So if your child has special needs, I want you to know that your child belongs in society. Your child does not need to fit in, okay? I have a very big thing about that, and you're gonna learn that today for sure. So fitting in, as Brene Brown said, is the opposite of belonging. So we're not gonna do that to our child. That's a separatist approach, and it's, you know, it's, it others the child. Why would we want the child that has the challenges to do most of the work in order to be accepted into society? Why would we want them to do that? Is that fair? Have you experienced people saying to you that, you know, your child needs to behave like other kids or why can't they just fit in or your child needs to try harder? That's a good one, isn't it? Does that, does that wind you up like it does me? Because when you hear this child needs to try harder, what they're actually saying to you is, we don't know how to help. So your child needs to overcome what we can't do, right? And that I can't even express adequately on a public forum what I think about that because it wouldn't be very polite. But have you had comments about your lack of parenting skills, right? That's always a good one. If that was my kid, I'd give him a good hard slap. Well, thank God it's not your kid. You know, have you heard these kind of things? Because this all separates you and your child from everybody else. So no more. We're going to explore today how you can help your child feel like they belong because they do and how you can feel like you belong because you do. And let's just, you know, be real about this. Okay. So if you've been encouraged to have your child fit in and for you to follow the line, you know, parent way other people parent, I'm here to tell you that I'm going to encourage you not 
to do that to yourself or your child because your child is capable of so much more. Your child has superpowers and I will die on that hill. They have things that they can do that other people miss because your child probably has hyper-focus on particular detail that other people don't even see is there, right? They don't know this thing exists. So what would it mean to you today to know that your child actually has superpowers, they belong, and they are so worthwhile? They are very worthwhile human beings. What would that mean to you? I think so many parents are just desperate to hear this. So hang in there because I'm going to have some news for you later about coaching and about how you can access more information. And I'm going to give you a little overview of what applied behavior analysis basically is, because it's all about the science and the science doesn't change. The question is how you apply it. And so we're going to look at that and see how that goes, right? But I'm here to say, I don't want you to make your child fit in. If other people are uncomfortable, then they need to look at why. Where, where are they lacking? What is their problem with the situation that's going on? It doesn't have to be an issue that your child doesn't behave the same as other kids necessarily. Now, of course, there are parameters to this. If your kid is biting people or hitting people, then we need to show that child another way to communicate. And that's where applied behavior analysis can come in because all behavior is communication. And that one sentence, if you can tattoo that on your forehead, that would be amazing. All behavior is communication, which means if your kid is acting out, if there's a child in the classroom that's throwing things or that's doing something, they are telling you very loudly and very clearly that they have a problem. It's up to us to interpret what that is. Because if you think about it, even if the child's verbal, even if they're able to use words, how many words do they have in their vocabulary? How many have you taught them? How many have they picked up? How many have school taught them? Not a lot when they're little, right? And that's not a criticism. That's simply the truth. They don't have that much. They're not that long out of diapers. So we expect them to be able to articulate things that a lot of adults can't articulate. And when they can't, when they cannot express that, they will show that with their behavior. So there's, it's not bad behavior. This, this word bad is, uh, it's, it's a very limiting label. It's behavior you don't like, for sure. It's behavior you don't want to have, but it's telling you something. So applied behavior analysis is a very good way to figure out what happened before, what was the behavior, and what's keeping it going because something is reinforcing it and keeping it in place. What does that behavior try and reach? You know, what's the function in other words? What, what is that child trying to access or get away from? And then you find another behavior that's more sort of functional, more easy for everybody to deal with, including the child. And you teach them that so that they can express in that way right? That might sound a bit complicated. We'll get back to it later, but it's actually pretty straightforward once you get into it and you get used to what you're looking at. So behaviors are something that, yes, they, they need to be addressed, particularly if it's violent behavior, no question. 
But the, the key is to finding out what are they telling you? What are they saying is wrong in their environment? Because something is out of place. Something's not working for them. And when you're in a school environment, that's very, very tough. The teachers don't tend to have training in things like applied behavior analysis. They don't really know what they're looking at. It's not, it's not their fault. They don't know what it is. Then you have the sort of, I have 30 kids here and I've got two that are, you know, throwing chairs. Okay, I need to just isolate those two kids or, you know, get them out of my classroom so that the others are safe. That's the sort of default the world's coming to an end setting, right, that that a lot of teachers will have because they're overwhelmed by their environment. They're understaffed. They're undertrained when it comes to behaviors like that. They don't know what to do. So they shut everything down. And that child, meanwhile, who's expressing deep distress about something is more distressed because they're just stuck in a corner somewhere or out in the hallway or, you know, another room. So it's really important to get help as soon as you see that this child has behaviors going on that seem to be uncontrollable, uh, unhelpful, problematic, whatever it is. Now, some things can actually be, I think, fairly easily dealt with. For example, a child who's been labeled with ADHD, that's, that's a juicy one, right? That one gets banded about a lot. Now, when it happens for a child that's very young, I have questions about the management, okay? I'm not in a position to question the diagnosis. I'm not a doctor. But the management of ADHD, you could give medication. That's possible. But all medication has side effects. So I'm, I'm going to say that would be a last recourse uh, from a parental perspective, I would say that is a last recourse. If your child's sitting in school and they're being told to sit down, do their work, don't talk, you know, don't move, then what's happening to that child is they're being told not to be a child, right? Just sit there, do these things, and that they're not natural. The whole scene is unnatural. A child is meant to explore the environment, to touch, to taste, to pick up, to squeeze, you know, to smell it, to use all their senses to understand what environment they're on. They, they, they need to know what, what's around, what's safe, what does it do? You know, this is what kids are learning. So if you've got a child in kindergarten and they're losing it on a daily basis because they're being made to sit down for extended periods, the problem is not. ADHD, I would argue, it is that they are being made to sit still. And sometimes you can bring a balance about by arranging for body breaks for that child. So, okay, now, you, now we're in grade one, maybe. Can the child get up every 20 minutes and just sort of go and do jumping jacks in the hall or, you know, walk, go for a walk with someone? Can they get up and move? because that's what that child needs. And chances are, when they do that, they're not going to need the medication, their body's becoming more regulated. So there, there is a theory called polyvagal theory. I'm throwing some science at you today. So just hang in there, you know, make some notes, ask some questions. But polyvagal theory basically says that the information highway on the vagal, vasovagal nerve is 
telling your brain, panic, you know, there's a saber-toothed tiger coming, everything's wrong, there's a problem, ah, and you get flooded with stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, all these things that just say, you know, run, think things are not good. And when that dysregulation happens and the person is upset, they can't hear you. So when you're telling a child to calm down, ah, so annoying, but when you're telling a child to calm down or you're, you're trying to talk them into a better space, they can't hear you. Their, their brain is ready to run from a saber-toothed tiger. So your best bet is to get to them before they reach that point. Have them go for a walk. Have them go do some jumping jacks. You know, if, if you're um, really into it as a teacher, get all your kids to stand up every 20 minutes, do half a dozen jumping jacks, walk around the table a couple of times and sit down. You will find that they can focus a whole lot better as a class. So movement is what our kids are lacking. I would argue that many of them do not need medication. They need movement. So if your child has been diagnosed with ADHD, again, I cannot argue with that diagnosis and I'm not going to try, but I am going to suggest that you try physical movement frequently before the child becomes upset. Whatever that rate is, if they can usually last 20 minutes, give them movement after 15 so that they don't actually get to that point. Now, if that doesn't work, maybe you do need medication for that child. That's possible. But for many children, movement will be enough. So it's up to you to check it out and, and to test it for yourself. Talk with the teacher too. ask them. Can, can they do that? Can they accommodate you in trying that out? I worked in um, a preschool one time and I noticed that the little kids all had very stiff bodies. So for a while, we replaced circle time with dance time and we'd have Michael Jackson on and all sorts. You should have seen those kids. And they got so much done afterwards. They had so much fun. So I'd love for you to think about this. And if you have any questions, let me know. But definitely don't go anywhere. We have a break coming up and I have so much more to tell you. And you can contact me as well after the show. I'll give you all that information too. So don't go away. I'll be back in a minute. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. 
Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're making notes. I am Mickey Gaffin Stone, your host on Navigating Complicated Relationships here on the Inspired Choices Network. And this is a very complicated relationship. This is your special needs child and your child belonging, not fitting in. There is a distinction and it's very, very clear. If your child belongs, they don't need to fit in. They are accepted as their quirky, gorgeous selves. And that is what we're here to do as human beings. Like, why would we separate some kids out? You you hear that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. I have so many questions about that village. Like, who gets to choose the village? Where are they when you need babysitting? You know, who's going to give you the advice that actually works? I'll tell you who's going to give you that advice. You are. Someone else can help you, but you instinctively know your child. You know them better than anybody else. So I think the education for how a child can be part of the community needs to happen in the classroom and with the parents of the other kids. It needs to be everyone understanding that we're not all the same and that some of us have some quirks, and that that's perfectly cool. You know, we would not have the internet if people didn't think differently. If people didn't think outside the box, we wouldn't get any of the inventions we get. You know, it's great to look at an invention and say, oh, you know what? That person was really crazy. They did all these different things, but you admire them now because they're long gone and you've been enjoying their invention. How about when they were alive? Was it okay to do these different things to, you know, not wear socks and I don't know what else they do, wear two ties, something like that? Does it matter? Do you care, really? You know, they, they can do these things. What are they producing? What are they here to show you that we wouldn't get without them? So that education needs to be spread among all parents, all schools, all ages, that kids who are different from you are welcome. They are part of the crowd, they're part of the community, and they are valuable human beings. So let's reframe how we look at kids with special needs. I would say kids with special needs also have superpowers. And again, I mentioned it at the beginning, but I will die on that hill. They do have superpowers. What can they find that hasn't been found yet, that hasn't been made yet, that hasn't been thought of? You know, they look at things very differently. And one of the pieces that does separate a child from us, in, from, you know, normative developing people in, a, in a, an interesting way, is they tend to think very black and white. It either is or it isn't. It's literal. What you say is taken literally. Now, personally, I find that to be a superpower. I really enjoy it because you always know where you stand. You don't get lost in the gray piece in the middle of, 
nuance and abstract thinking. It's very much a case of, you know, the child says X, you can believe X. That's They're telling you true. And here's something else I really wanted to mention to you, and I didn't want to forget it, and that is listen to your child. When someone else tells you something about your kid and your child has something else to say, listen to your child first, because nine times out of 10, they are going to be telling you exactly, truly what's happening, what it is. And I would rather be wrong that one time by listening to my child than be wrong nine times by listening to other people, wouldn't you? So an example would be, you know, my um, eldest son was, I was told that he was no good at languages, that he couldn't learn French. And, you know, I should put him in a different direction for school. And I thought, wow, that's that's kind of harsh. Uh, hmm, don't know what to do with this. So I decided not to do anything with it. I'd keep it to myself. As it happened, we moved country and we went to Singapore. And first thing that they said when he got there was, oh, he's going to have to learn Mandarin. And I thought, oh, man, that's going to be fun. Bearing in mind what the teacher had said, right? He went into Mandarin class and I waited and I waited. And after about six weeks, he came home and said, you know, I love Mandarin. It's so cool. Look at this. And he'd been writing. He'd been, you know, he was asked to join the team for trivia in Mandarin. This is like after a month and a half. Can you imagine? I was blown away. That kid now speaks seven languages to my knowledge. He's a linguist. He maps endangered languages. Like he knows language in ways that I didn't know existed and in some ways that did not exist. He had to cite his own research in his PhD because nobody else had done that research. Now, if I had listened to that teacher, if I had listened to that, he can't learn French, put him in a different direction and forget about languages, I would have changed his entire life trajectory. Now, just take a moment and think how serious that is. He is doing amazing work right now, and I would have blown that out of the water and never known, right? What actually happened was the teacher couldn't teach French. It was her problem, her lens, and she's looking at my child and saying it's on him. That wasn't the case at all. There were other children in her class that, funnily enough, weren't doing well in French. Hmm, let's think about that. So I don't suppose for a moment that she thought, I'm going to screw him up. At least I sincerely hope not. But she just couldn't see that the problem was hers. It had to be somebody else's. So through her lens, she's she's looking and saying, well, he obviously can't learn. And this child doesn't know how to do it. And, you know, and she put all the, the, boat, the onus on the kids. And how many times does that happen? How many times... Do adults do that to children? You should know better. You should know this. You're not trying hard enough. You need to work harder. You're lazy. You disrupt the class. Go on. How many of us have heard that? Or actually, let's keep the hands down. How many people haven't heard that? You know, put your hand up because that's going to be about three of you. You know, everybody hears this, but it's the setting from that teacher. It's their lens. It's, I can't handle this, 
and this is the result I'm getting. The response from the child is the result you're getting for what you're putting out there. Isn't that a wild thought? So, you know, black and white thinking is a gift because your child is telling you what's happening. Listen to them, look at them, trust them. You can trust your child. And really, if you feel that you can't trust your child, you and I need to have a conversation because we need to figure out where the problem is. Your child is trustworthy. When a baby's born, they are absolutely a blank canvas. They are taught from us. So if your child can't be trusted, what have they been learning? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? And I do find that if a kid is going to be sneaky, if they are going to get up to behaviors that are troublesome when someone's not looking, you know, when a particular adult is not looking, it frequently means that that child has been spanked or otherwise hit as a form of discipline. And so they have learned not to let that particular adult see that behavior. Doesn't mean they don't do it anymore. That adult might think they don't, but you bet they do. They do it in spades. They just do it when you can't see it and other people do. So if you have a child that's sneaky, there's a reason for that. And I'm not here to blame. I'm not here to judge. We're all on a parenting journey and we're all trying to do the best we can to get through. It's just sometimes the information we're working from is not the ideal. It might be what we were given from our own parents. Still doesn't mean it was ideal. And, you know, we've moved on as a society now. The world is different now and we need to catch up. We need to treat special needs children as though they are, in fact, part of the community. And we need to not hit kids because that doesn't teach them anything helpful. It teaches them fear. It teaches them to be sneaky, actually. And it also teaches them that if you're upset, if you're angry, if you don't like something, then you hit someone, right? That's what they learn. So kids that get hit, hit. That was a side note. I wasn't actually necessarily intending to go there, but it is important because for those of you who are saying, well, my child's sneaky, I can't trust them. We need to look at what happened. It might not be you that did it, but what happened? Something did. So, you know, this there's so many things to look at with a child's behavior, but it's all communicating something to you. And that is so important. Now, right now, I just want to have um, a sort of side note again. I'm going off to the side all over the place. For kids who are gifted. Now, you might think gifted. That's not special needs. Well, yes, it is. Special needs means they need something different from the average. Right. And it's very often tempting to move that gifted child up in grades. There's a, a sort of, there's, there's a problem with that though. And that is that that child might be brilliant. Sure, great, wonderful. But they're not socially moving up in those years. So if you jump a child by two grades, for example, their maturity didn't jump, their social skills didn't jump, their height, their, their build, everything about them did not jump, right? So they're suddenly put in this, land of giants in a a bigger class, and it can become very difficult for that child because socially they're just not there. So if you do have a gifted child, 
there are other ways to foster that brilliance that they have that doesn't involve moving them from their peers. I think it can be very problematic later in life and that person never quite catches up. They're always feeling like they're out of sync with their peers because they were moved at a very tender time and and that is difficult. It, It doesn't help them to have a readiness for adult life when they've been jumped forward and and they graduate at 15. Who's ready to graduate at 15? I don't know. I don't think I was. In fact, I can remember me at 15 and I'm pretty glad I did not, in fact, graduate then. Um, So yes, if your child is gifted, let's look outside the classroom for ways to keep them interested and for ways to have them learn and for ways to foster exactly what they're stroke of genius is like what can they do that's brilliant that you might not even realize yet how can you find that there's so many ways I'd love to tell you about we could have a conversation about this if you contact me at mickey at gaffinstone.com and let me know what you're working on you know we can always have a conversation about this and see what direction you'd like to go in if you'd like some coaching around that I'm totally here for it And if you want some coaching around having your child belong, I'm definitely here for that all day. So we're going to go on a break. Please don't go away. Keep your notes, ask your questions. And I have so much more for you afterwards. I did promise that I was going to tell you a little bit about applied behavior analysis, how it works and why. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to demystify the science. Don't go away. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back to Inspired Choices Network. You are listening to Navigating Complicated Relationships with me, your host, Mickey Gaffinstone. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I am a board-certified behavior analyst, among other things, and that means I work with applied behavior analysis. That is the science. It's part of psychology, and that's the science I work with. Now, how it works is you analyze what you're looking at. 
right? So a behavior happens. It's not in isolation. People will often say, well, no, nothing caused that. Nothing happened. Child just did this thing. That is impossible. There is always something beforehand. There is always uh, an antecedent, it's called in the science. And that simply means the thing that came before. And there can be a piece before that, which is, you know, did you have breakfast today? Are you tired today? How are you set up? Then what happened in the environment that prompted that particular behavior? So I'll give you an example to make it a bit more clear. If you hate math, hello, that would be me. But if you hate math and someone gives you 10 sheets of math paperwork to do, you know, math math homework to do, and you don't want to do it, but you can't really articulate all the ways you hate math and why, and you don't have a say in whether you get to do this or not, chances are your behavior is going to be to throw the paper across the room, tear it up, scream, you know, throw a tantrum, fall on the floor. You're going to do something that says, I don't want to do this. This is painful for me. I don't like this. You know, you're going to show a behavior. So then the question is, what happens after you do that thing? So if the person that gave you the homework comes up and takes it from you and says, okay, okay, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. Okay, great. Now I know that that behavior works. So next time somebody gives me math and I don't want to do it, I'm going to go straight to that behavior that just worked. So if that means I need to throw myself on the floor and scream, I am totally going to do it because it's worth getting the math taken away, right? If you are given math homework, someone mentioned in the comments, if you love math and you're given something that's way below your skill level, and you're bored with it, how are you going to show them that? Maybe you've told them, this is too easy. I don't want to do this. It's boring. And they get mad at you because they don't have anything else to give you. You're challenging what they've got set up, right? And a lot of adults don't do well with being challenged by kids. That's another thing that needs to be examined because there's no reason kids can't question what you're telling them, really. So If that child then has math that's below their level, they're going to get bored. Maybe they start leaning back on the chair, throwing pencils at other kids or, you know, singing songs or humming or tapping their fingernails, you know, doing something that shows you I am bored out of my tree and I need something different to work on. You didn't listen when they used words. So now they're using behavior. Are you getting the picture? Something did happen first. It might not have registered for you, but it sure registered for that child. Then depending on what you do afterwards, that that if, if that behavior keeps happening, you're reinforcing it with whatever you do. So if that child is then sent to the principal's office for misbehaving and disrupting the class, ah, oh, great. I get to sit in the hall and wait for the principal and play on my phone, you know, and I can do some... I don't know, other things that I actually want to do. So being shown off to the principal's office isn't necessarily the punishment you think it is. Punishment is literally something that stops a behavior from happening. It doesn't matter what your intent is. 
you know, some kids don't like praise. So if they do a great job and you give them a whole lot of public praise and they're cringing because they really don't like it, you actually just punished that behavior, even though you didn't intend it. So this is where the science of applied behavior analysis comes in, is to figure out what's happening. Is that reinforcing? Is it punishing? What do you want it to do? How do you want this behavior to continue or discontinue? If you want it to discontinue, what are you going to do to replace it? Because you can't just stop a behavior. And that's something that so many adults think they can do, is just say, stop doing that. Don't do that. Stop. And well, okay, but how many things do you do that you just stop and then don't replace? We don't have a void. You know, there's there's always something that you need to replace it with. So if you want to stop a given behavior, what do you want them to do instead? Now, in applied behavior analysis, there's a bunch of options here. And one of them, for example, that leaps to mind is where you reinforce an incompatible behavior. So bear with me here. If you have a child who's nail biting and you don't want them to nail bite, then you ask them to put their hands in their pockets or you get them to clap or, you know, tap your head. You're doing something with the hands that means they can't possibly put the fingers in the mouths and bite the nails. Right. It is incompatible. And every time they do that other thing, the thing you've asked them to do that is incompatible, you give them some reinforcement. Now, reinforcement does not need, uh, uh, goodness me, I can't talk. Against popular opinion, it is not that you give them M&Ms every time they do something you want them to do, right? That is a not, not applied behavior analysis um, in full swing you find something that is reinforcing. Now that might be for a very young child, it might be a sticker, it might be a high five, it might be a token and tokens are great. You can sort of earn a bunch of tokens. It's a bit like earning money. And when they have a certain number, they've earned a five minute break or a jump on the bouncy ball or whatever it is that's really reinforcing that they'd like to have, right? So you're reinforcing the behavior of putting the hands in the pockets or clapping the hands, whatever you choose. And the behavior of biting nails becomes less interesting, right? So that, that's a sort of sketch of how that particular one works, incompatible behavior. Sometimes you just want to reinforce anything other than the thing they're doing, right? And that is legitimate. If, if they do anything other than scream out in the middle of the classroom, then you can reinforce that. So if they put their hand up, reinforce that. If they come and touch you on the shoulder, reinforce that. You know, that's reinforcing other behaviors. So it takes a conscious effort to know what you want to see and how you need to get there. That's where applied behavior analysis comes in. And that's something that, as you've probably figured out by now, I do as as for work, like that's that's my background, that's my profession. So there, there are so many things to do with applied behavior analysis. And if you choose it for important behaviors, for things that you just really don't want to see, like that child biting the nails is getting infected fingers. Yeah, you might want to work on that. 
not because it's a problem for anybody else, but because you don't want your child to have infected fingers, right? So be clear about what you want to work on and why and what you expect from other kids. Do you expect the same thing? Because newsflash, applied behavior analysis works with other kids too. And here's something for those dog owners, works with dogs. It does not work with cats. Cats will train you. That's a whole other topic. We're not going to go there today. But ABA is a science that really works well. So if you have a young child, I'm going to give you some ideas from applied behavior analysis on important things to work on and start as soon as you can. Playing with your child. What? What do you mean that's not rocket science? It is ABA, though, because when you play with your child with the same thing, so you're passing a car back and forward and you're talking about the car and you're picking it up and, you know, naming the color, the shape, the size, the weight, all different things about it. And you're conversing with the child, whether they can respond or not verbally, you're you're bringing attention, their attention and yours to the same toy. This is called building joint attention skills. And it's important for language. It's important for socialization. So if you focus on one thing when your child is little, it is playing with them and talking about the things you're playing with. Examine it. Really look at how can you, how many ways can you play with a set of cars? You know, you can line them up differently. You can move them around. You can have beginning to end, first to last. Um, outside to inside, front to back, on top. You know, you can use so much language and ask the child to tell it back to you if they're old enough to and if they are verbal. If they're nonverbal, maybe they have their hex, which is a picture exchange system, and they can use those to explain it to you. But really get that attention going with the child. Spend time with your child. I know it's tough, but it's far more important than getting the dishes washed or the dusting done or the floor or any any of those mundane things that frankly it'll still be there in an hour. And you clean it up and it's coming straight back again. So that's not really the focal point here. The child and what they need from you is so you can have repeatable play routines that you then start to change slightly if your child does have autism, this is a great way to work with them. You just change it slowly, slowly so that they move off from the the same repetition and you can include new things, take some pieces out, really start to help them work with this, build their joint attention skills and build their language. It can, the teacher can do this in the classroom too. If, If they're aware of how to do this, then you can have groups that start doing this, two, three kids, get more. Have the teacher modeling the skills. The parent can model the skills. Ideally stay at the eye level of the children so that you can keep your attention with theirs and that will really help. So how's that for a big intervention actually that is quite painless and it's very helpful to the child and you're starting from a very early age to help them fit in to help them belong. Wow. Cool, right? 
We're going to have a break in a moment. You are still listening to Mickey Gaffin Stone on the Inspired Choices Network, and this is Navigating Complicated Relationships. Today, we're using science to do that, and I'm so glad that you're here. Please don't go away. Please do make notes, and I will see you in just a minute. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Mickey Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Mickey Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to Mickey at GaffinStone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. Before we get into more information and more detail, and I'm throwing an awful lot at you today, I would like to mention that if you need any help with any of this, then come talk to me. This is what I do. This is what I work with. And your child is unique. And it doesn't mean that they're broken. It does not mean that they need fixing. So don't let anybody tell you that. But with a little bit of guidance and help, you can get to some amazing places with that child. So if this is you and you would like to talk with me, do contact me at mickey at gaffinstone.com or you can find me on social media, Mickey Gaffinstone. I'm the only one out there. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, and mostly Facebook. So come find me, ask me the things, and, and we will figure stuff out for you and for your child. The side of not doing any of this, of just, you know, making your child fit in, Let's just address that for a moment. What happens when you do that? Well, we've been doing it for quite a while and the results are in. The results are that your child becomes basically a people pleaser on steroids, that they're always worried about what other people want, what other people think. And I have spoken to so many adults with autism who are worried all the time. They are in a state of anxiety about what do people want from me? How am I supposed to show up for this? What does that person expect? How do I get here? They don't know because the gray, the nuance that I mentioned earlier is where you pick up signals, nonverbal signals. And this is often not present for somebody with autism. It doesn't mean that they're incapable of understanding it means you need to get the information to them differently. So if you want somebody to listen to you rant, tell them that's what you'd like. If you want them to support you and validate you, tell them that's what you want. If you want them to give you solutions, tell them that's what you want. They're not going to pick it up out of the ether. But so many adults with autism mask and that means that they're pretending that everything's fine, everything's cool, I know what's going on, I fit in here, right? And it takes a toll on that person. It wears them down 
And every time that person is out there in society masking and pretending that they, you know, they're one of everybody else, it takes a toll on their self-esteem, their sense of self-efficacy. They they just, you know, they become less than. And that is a terrible thing to do to a person. But that's what we do when we ask people to fit in. Don't be who you are. Don't be individual. Be like everyone else. That is so disabling, actually. Now, you'll notice I haven't used that word the entire time we've been talking. And that's because I don't consider any of the things we've mentioned to be a disability. I consider making someone fit in. That is disabling. That is a problem. So let's not do that. It really does have a lifelong problem for that person who grows up with it. They never quite recover from it. There's a a limiting factor there. And the limiting factor is their fear of what other people think. The reality is that having somebody in your life who comes under the heading of special needs, they make you a better person. If you're willing to show up for them, they will make you a better person because you learn all kinds of things. You learn not to take things personally because it's not about you. You learn how to be more flexible. You learn how to speak in black and white. You may have noticed that I'm very direct in my speech. I don't use fluff. I don't use gray language. I am straight up. It's this or it's this. And you can always believe what I tell you. Even my husband has never had to ask me, what do I mean? Right? Now that's how many guys just said, what? But really, he knows exactly what I'm saying. If I say a thing, it's because I mean it. That is the gift that you get from working with people with autism. It's, and I love it because I, I like people to know where I stand and what I mean. And I prefer to know where they stand and what they mean. It would resolve so many conflicts if people would just be clear, say what they mean, mean what they say, we think we do, but when you live in that gray nuanced area, we don't. So if you're pulled out of that and made to speak clearly, made to use words that mean what you want them to mean, then we have such an improved communication. Isn't that wild? But there's less misunderstandings because you actually communicated clearly what you were looking for. And when you understand that all behavior is communication, you can look at what that child's doing very differently. They're telling you something. So that kid that's having a tantrum in the store, they're telling you something. They're telling you that they're overwhelmed by all the sights, sounds, smells, stuff, like there's so much stuff there. And they didn't know what the expectations were before going into the store. We often think, well, you know what we do. No, they don't have the same capacity that we have. So why would they know that? If you don't tell them, they don't know. So if the child doesn't know the expectations, they're overwhelmed by all this stuff and they see that they want something and and that becomes a focal point because it's like a a sense of safety almost, right? I'm just going to focus on this one thing and scream blue murder till I get it. They're, They're testing their boundaries too. What are you going to do when I do this? Is it safe to do this? What happens? Will you do the same thing you did last time? And when you move those barriers, 
you teach them that, no, that's not really a boundary. That's not really a safety line. So they try harder and you increase that behavior. That behavior is telling you something. It really is. And when you stop someone from expressing themselves and you stop them from communicating with you, then as someone mentioned in the chat, it can take decades to get the courage to say what you mean and to ask for what you need. Wow. Really? Are we going to do that to our kids? Now that you know this, I bet you're going to do some things differently. And I promise you, there's no judgment here. This is not what we're about. There's no point in it. What you've done is what you've done. The point is to learn from that and to move forward with new information. So I'm going to ask you to contact me at mickey at gavinstone.com with any questions you have, any concerns. We can always have a chat. And if you want to look into applied behavior analysis, we can talk about that some more or you can look it up online. There's plenty of information out there. When you hear about opinions on it, though, I ask that you keep an open mind because it very much depends on who's using it, where and why. So choosing the behaviors that are important to change is key. It's called um, social validity. And it basically means that it, it really does make a difference to everyone's life, especially the child's. I have given you so much information today. I'm thrilled that you're all here and I'm kind of running out of voice. This is a bit of a soapbox for me, as you can probably tell. I would love to have your feedback, please. And let me know what you'd like to know more of. Next week's show is a bit of a mystery. I didn't give you the title yet, so keep your eyes open for more information on that in Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, and we'll um, go for that then. So I will see you soon. Thank you so much for coming today. Again, black and white thinking is a gift. ADHD often responds well to movement and, you know, just maybe reduce some of the noise in the environment or the, the visible stuff. You know, ADHD, I think, just before we go, ADHD is a bit of a misnomer because actually everything comes in. You're paying attention to everything. How can you focus on one thing when there's so much other stuff jumping in on top? So have a look at your environment. How can you fix that? Until next time, I'm going to let you go now. And I look forward to your feedback. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate you all. Mickey Gaffinstone signing off. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Navigating Complicated Relationship Show. Mickey returns Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, remember every relationship is a journey. And with the right tools, you can create stronger, more fulfilling connections.